Our first reading this morning comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, the 51st chapter. Listen to me, you that pursue righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, but I blessed him and made him many. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. Listen to me, my people, and give heed to me, my nation, for a teaching will go out from me and my justice for a light to the people's. I will bring near my deliverance swiftly. My salvation has gone out and my arms will rule the peoples. The coastlands wait for me and for my arm they hope. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And those who live on it will die like gnats. But my salvation will be forever. And my deliverance will never be ended. Let us join together and read responsively, whole verse by whole verse from Psalm 138. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and praise your name because of your steadfast love and faithfulness. For you have glorified your name and your word above all things. When I called, you answered me. You increased my strength within me. All the rulers of the earth will praise you, O Lord, when they have heard the words of your mouth. They will sing of the ways of the Lord, that great is the glory of the Lord. The Lord is high, yet cares for the lowly perceiving the haughty from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you keep me safe. You stretch forth your hand against the fury of my enemies. Your right hand shall save me. You will make good on your purpose for me. O Lord, your steadfast love endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. Second reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, the 12th chapter. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, 
the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Holy Gospel this morning according to St. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you all the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then Jesus sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. of God, will you join me now for a word of prayer? Lord God, you answer us when we call. You are on high and you care for the lowly. You keep us safe as we walk in the midst of trouble and you make good on your promises to your people. Do so now as we receive the gift of this word. Strengthen us by your steadfast love and prepare us to worship you here now in all places and in all things. All of these and all the things of our hearts we lift before you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I remember when I was first entrusted with my own set of keys. Ones to the house where I grew up and one to the sheds where we kept our tools and equipment for the farm. I remember holding on to that key ring for dear life, almost fearful that I would lose it and lock myself out, even though I knew where a spare was kept. And then getting the key to my first car and remembering how awkward it was for a while to have that added weight to the key ring and the immense responsibility it represented for a teenager behind the wheel of an automobile. Of course, a key has one function, which accomplishes either one of two things. It either locks or binds a fastening mechanism, or it opens or looses that same fastening mechanism. Either way, a key is the tool which either permits or restricts access to whatever it is that lies behind the veil. Keys as common as they are to our daily lives, are incredible signs. Signs of 
potential signs of responsibility and authority. Most of all, I think, signs of trust. I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound up in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Though speaking to Peter, the rock upon which the church is to be built, Jesus' gift of the keys is directed to all the disciples. The church built upon the confession, you, Jesus, are the Messiah, the Son of the God of the living. It's important for us to recognize that this confession does not originate from somewhere deep within Peter. It doesn't come from his recollection of the miracles, of the long days listening to Jesus teach, or even some whim of a guest by a disciple attempting to flatter his master. Blessed are you, Jesus says, because flesh and blood, your experience or your own wisdom or your own deduction have not revealed this to you. But the Father who is in heaven has. God the Father has turned the key in Peter's life that fires him up and unleashes God's truth into the world. No matter how we may try, our own experiences with the divine will never point us in the direction that confesses Jesus as the Messiah, as the son of the God of the living. That has to be revealed to us and for us by others who proclaim the gospel promise among us. More than placing a title on Jesus, what Peter says is the revelation of the intimate relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son, which could only have been made known to Peter by God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Peter says with these few words that Jesus is more than one to bring people out of bondage from a corrupt government. Jesus is more than a, a prophet, more than a moral teacher, more than one who draws crowds to himself in the wilderness. Jesus is God's anointed Savior the one with authority over all creation to unleash the power of God's mercy and forgiveness on the world and bind it up in the broken bodies of a people afflicted by disease and poverty, racism and fear, and ultimately death. Peter confesses rightly something that only God could have made known. And for that, Jesus trusts Peter and the disciples who hear his confession with the holy responsibility of keys. The office of ministry which opens the kingdom of heaven for all to know. Traditionally, the, the office of the keys have dealt primarily with confession of sin and their absolution or the assurance of forgiveness we receive through Jesus' resurrection. In other Gospels, when Jesus gifts the power to bind and to loose, he specifically mentions the responsibility of the church to forgive repentant sinners and to bind or prohibit that which is an affront to God and creation. But here in Matthew, that holy responsibility is expanded 
by its lack of definition. Whatever you bind, whatever you loose, those things will be bound up also in heaven or loosed from that place. It's the role of the church, particularly its officers, pastors, preachers, teachers, deacons, elders, to bind and to loose. The keys we carry in our baptismal walk of discipleship are the power, the authority, the responsibility to join Peter in confessing what God has made known to us in Jesus, that he is the son of the God of the living, the anointed savior of creation who looses us from captivity to sin, death, and the devil and binds us to himself through the waters of baptism in his death and resurrection. Those keys unleash us to make this confession everywhere we go and in everything we do. Jesus is saying, you, the church, have been given the authority, the power, the holy responsibility to let loose the promises of God in creation. Promises to forgive sin, to heal the sick, to comfort the grieving and the afflicted. Yes, to cast out demons, to feed the hungry, and even to raise the dead. Jesus is saying, you, the church, have been given the authority, the power, the responsibility to bind these promises into the lives of a people who yearn to know them. If you loose these promises and bind them here on earth, trust that they will be loosed and bound in the presence of God. And if you do not loose and bind these promises, they will not be loosed and bound in heaven. I trust you with the keys to the kingdom. Use them faithfully. That is an awesome frightening responsibility. With these keys, Jesus trusts us to bind and loose the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world with all that we are and with all that we do. The keys that Jesus gives are the very confession that Peter offers, intimately tied to the answer to Jesus's question, who do you say that I am? As we grow and as we form in faith, as we build up community in Jesus Christ and here in our neighborhood, as we share the gospel promise of Jesus' resurrection, these keys, they're always with us. Because this confession, this testimony has been made known to us. The world may not look exactly like we would hope it would. For decades, the church has lamented a decline in worshiping members. We've bemoaned the lack of trust that people seem to have for the church and the abuses which have caused that lack of trust. We've longed for a day when God's people will be let loose on the world again in droves. But our holy responsibility, these, these keys remind us that we have the keys to the kingdom. And they do us no good if we lock them away. The church may not look like it's in the best place, regardless of where you look throughout the world, but we're in the place where God wants us to be. 
prevailing against the gates of death and the power of Hades, which brings suffering and the grave to bear. With the keys to the kingdom, we have nothing to fear. Neither peril, nor sword, nor famine, nor plague. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Death does not prevail against Christ's church. Jesus has already risen victorious from the grave and raises us too to a new and eternal life. We have the keys to the kingdom. They are the confession that Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our peace. May God forever bind these promises into our own being that we might let them loose on a world longing to know who Jesus is. Amen.